0: water. Sorry about that. Thanks, John chapter 4. Okay, just to let some of you know, who haven't been with us for very long, or maybe it's your first time, we're going through a preaching series through the Gospel of John, and we're looking at the person, the works and the claims of this guy we've been singing about this morning, Jesus Christ. And throughout this series, we are asking the question, is Jesus incomparable? Again, I refer to the slide. Is he incomparable, which demands our worship? as the man on the left is doing? Or is he irrelevant, as the other chap, just walking away? He, he has no meaning for us today. And if you remember last week, I, I, I read out a claim from C.S. Lewis. We have to come to one conclusion or the other. Whoever you are this morning, you have to come to a conclusion. He is either exactly who the Bible says he is, or he is completely irrelevant. There is no middle ground. He doesn't give us any wriggle room. He isn't a good moral teacher. He isn't just a spiritual guru. He is either God or nothing. Or a man. That's where we've got to get to. So the whole series, the point of the series is to to push us back into worship. Whether you know him or not. is to force our faces towards him. Last Sunday we're in chapter 3 and we looked at a conversation, if you remember, between Jesus and a man called Nicodemus. Nicodemus, a, a Jew, a Jewish man, a teacher of the law if you remember, a Pharisee, a member of the Jewish ruling council which was called the Sanhedrin. He was a very, very religious and zealous man. Religious for the law, the Old Testament law and if you remember What the Pharisees did, they added laws around laws. So this was a a gung-ho, zealous, religious man. The result of this conversation was Jesus simply says to him, you must be born again. And that was the same for us. And It was great, wasn't it, to say this morning that last week we had two chaps that responded to that call. At the end of the meeting, they came, and they gave their lives to Jesus Christ. They received this new birth. They received this, this, this birth from on high, as Scripture says. Born from God. Not because of things that had happened in their heads, but something that had changed their heart. That's what we all need. This week we're going to look at another conversation. Jesus is in conversation yet again, but this time with a completely different character altogether. And the title for today's message, is Jesus alone satisfies. That's going to be the result of where I want to get to today. Jesus alone satisfies. So if you've found John chapter 4, I'm going to read from verse 1, the words will come up on the screen behind me, but if you have your Bibles, do follow along. Chapter four, 4, verse 1. Now, the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptising more disciples than John, referring to John the Baptist. Although, in fact, it wasn't Jesus who baptised, but his disciples. When Jesus learned about this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's uh, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down. He sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to him, Jesus said to her, "'Will you give me a drink?' And it says in brackets, "'His disciples had gone to the town to buy food.' The Samaritan woman said to him, "'You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink?' for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well here is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? But not only that, so also his sons and his flocks and his herds. Jesus answered her, I have no husband," she replied. Jesus said to her, "No, you're right. When you say you have no husband, the fact of the matter is you have five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said, lady, is quite true." Sir," the woman said, "I can see that you're a prophet, for our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim to worship at the pla- So, you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem." Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. That's where it started. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship him in spirit and truth. This is the pivotal changing point. This is who Jesus claims to be. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. We've heard, he's he's coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything you've just said. He'll explain it to us. And then Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. Lord Jesus, I, I want to pray again. Just reveal yourself to us. Please just reveal exactly who you are. Holy Spirit, come and reveal this precious Saviour. I who speak to you am He, the Lord of all, the Lord of the universe. Come by your Spirit and teach us. Amen. Okay, it is so easy for us to read over this as a nice story because that's what we do. We read over these. Oh, the story of the Good Samaritan. Oh, the story of the woman by the well. We need to understand the context in which it was written to really understand and grasp its power, how powerful it is for us today. There's something very wrong about this story. Now, I'm not saying there's something wrong in the Bible. I'm saying there's something wrong about this story. Culturally wrong. Completely wrong. Firstly, in the culture of the day, a Jewish man wouldn't have spent time with a woman like this, one-to-one, full-stop. Alone, by a well, Jewish man and a woman, one-to-one, it just wouldn't have happened. Secondly, Jews wouldn't have mixed with Samaritans, full-stop. Just not would have, that wouldn't be the done thing. Now, to give a bit more background on this, or to help, who's heard of today, today the group the Samaritans? Many of you. I certainly have. Now, what are they famous for? The Samaritans today are a famous group of people that help people in times of need, don't they? They help people in extreme distress. Whatever that might be, they listen to people, they talk to people, they reason with people in their deepest of need. Like I've said, whatever that is, for some it's loneliness, for others it's bereavement, for others it's the thought of suicide. For others, it could be health issues. It's just a voice at the end of the phone to help. So, quite ironically then, this group, this named organisation of today, is ironically named after the grouping of people that the first century Jews considered the worst kind of outcasts. That's who they were. The Samaritan to the Jew was scum. In those days, there was no relationship between them. It was awful. These two, this dividing war. They wouldn't have mixed. They wouldn't have socialised. The reasons were historical. To The, the Samaritans were a mixed-race mixed grouping of people. And they were, they were comprised, if you like, they were mixed from part Jew, part Gentile background. From intermarriage. From the Jews intermarrying. Part Jew, part Gentile. Much like myself. I'm from a mixed race, I guess, grouping of backgrounds. From intermarriage, part Greek and part English. My father's side are all from Greece and my mum's side is from Bromley. It's quite a mix. I'm not the full pedigree. If you like. Many would say not the full ticket, I hear you. I'm not the full pedigree, much like the Samaritans. They would have been looked upon like they're they're not the full pedigree. They're not the authentic people of God. They're they're Samaritans. They're a mixed race grouping of people. They're unclean. That's how they were looked upon. Unclean. Because of this, barriers went up. They were considered half-breeds half-breeds, outcasts, lowest of the low, complete scum. So, here we have Jesus. Picture it, guys. We have Jesus, a Jewish man, alone, one-to-one in conversation with a woman. But not only a woman, a Samaritan woman. This would have been considered wrong, as I've said, on every level. Although this was the attitude of the day, this hatred between groups... This was certainly not Christ's attitude and it isn't today. This isn't the message of the Gospel, is it? This was the historic attitude of the day but Jesus came to remove and pull down barriers. That's what he's come to do. To, 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 to destroy them. To destroy them. As a Jew, Jesus does something... He shows us something by modelling love and honour towards Samaritans. I want to give you just a couple of very quick examples. In Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 9, and from verse 51 onwards, we see Jesus sending his disciples into a Samaritan village. But the Samaritans persecute them and push them back out. So I think it's James and John, what they do is they say, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven and destroy them? And he says, no. He says Jesus rebukes them, tells them off. He says, Don't be so silly. No. What a, what a crazy story. Imagine that today. People different than ourselves that oppose us. Should we call down fire? Let's have a prayer meeting. Should we, and I lead us, Let's, should we call down fire and destroy them? No. Jesus, no. Luke 17, Jesus heals a Samaritan man from leprosy. From all the people he's he's milling with, he, he heals this man with leprosy, a Samaritan man, but then he honors him before the people. And then Luke chapter 10, 25 to 37, is the story of the Good Samaritan. Who has heard this story? Who has heard this story? My son has got these little books, The Story of the Good Samaritan, and it's very well uh, crafted in little cartoons, and it looks all nice and jolly and lovely. This is supposed to offend us. It's supposed to offend those of the day. It's supposed to not sit comfortably. Picture the audience Jesus would have been speaking to. And then he tells them of a Jew that's been mugged, that's been beaten, that's been left for dead. A Jew... And then he says, then a priest comes by. Someone that would have been honoured and leaves him. And then a Levite comes by. Someone that would have been set apart from God to do good things. Holy things. Priestly, you know, religious things. He walks by. So Jesus says, who comes along? A good Samaritan. A Samaritan man. When what this Samaritan man should have done was kicked him while he was down, spit on him. But what does he do? He picks him up, he puts him gives him travel, puts him on his donkey, gets him to an inn, pays for his care, looks after him. This good Samaritan loves him. Jesus honours him and then says, You do likewise. That's our call. Yeah. Whoever they are, you, you do likewise. Uh, this is all a build-up, okay? Then in Acts 1:8, Jesus, after going to the cross, after being crucified and risen from the dead, before he goes back to the Father, he gives his disciples a, an instruction. He says, "Wait in Jerusalem. Just wait there for me. Wait, because you're going to receive something. You're going to receive power from on high. You're going to be clothed with something from on high." They were terrified their saviour, their messiah, this messiah that the woman's saying, the messiah's coming, they believed him to be the messiah, he's killed, and they scatter. Then he gathers them back and says, I'm here again, I've risen. Now wait to receive power. And then in Acts he says, you'll receive power to go and do likewise when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses. You'll be able to go and do likewise. You'll be my representatives. You'll be my ambassadors. You'll you'll have my heart and spirit. You'll have my attitudes. And I want you to carry them into all of Jerusalem, to to all of our known people, to, to Judea, to the surrounding areas. Where else? Samaria. To Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The good news, the saving work of Jesus Christ is for everyone. It's for everyone. Jew, Samaritan, Greek, African, Indian, German, Belgian, Italian, Russian, Iranian. Everyone. Everyone. I love what it says in Galatians chapter 4 there is neither Jew nor Greek slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It's an amazing verse. Also in Ephesians, he came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, through Jesus, we both have access. How many tribes and tongues are represented here? There are a few different people groups represented here. We both have access to To God. Why? Because of Jesus. No one comes to the Father except through Him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes except through the doorway of Christ. We both, Greek, African, English, we both have access. And we must remember, I was speaking to a friend of mine a few days ago about this. We must remember that we, we, we consider ourselves the people of God, which we are, but we've been brought in. <laughs> we can sit here and think, but we're the holy people of God, the ones that he always chose." No, we weren't. We were the ones that were far away. Good news was preached to us while we were far away, and it brought us near. The Gospel The good news of Jesus, for God so loved the world, like we said last week, that he gave. His one and only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. This message is inclusive. And it's inclusive for all. No matter what your race, your social background, your education, your gender, it's for all mankind. Back to the story. So here in John, we, we see Jesus, he's on this mission The Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. That's why he came, to seek and save. This was his mission. We see him here going through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. So Jesus' mission is taking him from place to place, region to region, village to village, preaching the good news of the kingdom, seeking and saving those that are lost, and he ends up going through Samaria. His mission takes him straight through. He doesn't dodge it. He doesn't try and go round it. He doesn't make excuses to his disciples. Tell you what, let's not go through Bexhill. I tell you what, let's not go through Birmingham. let's Let's not go through Samaria. Let's go right through it. And in this town, he comes to rest by a well. And as he's resting, we read this, a Samaritan. When a Samaritan woman came to him, this enemy of the Jew, (laughs) Jesus says to her, you've got to hear this. An enemy of the Jews, a woman, Jesus is alone by the well, she comes up, what's she doing there? And Jesus speaks. And he says to her, can I have a drink? I'm pretty thirsty now. Imagine he's thirst. Can I have a drink? He's asking her, please give me a drink. As I've said, this is bonkers at every level. The woman would have thought, you've lost your marbles, what are you doing? We shouldn't be talking, we shouldn't be engaging in this kind of attitude and this kind of conversation, sorry, this isn't what we do. This isn't what we do. Jesus should have ignored her, but he says, please can I have a drink? The Samaritan woman said, but you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? And John, who writes this account, very helpfully puts in brackets, because remember, Jews don't associate with Samaritans. She doesn't say it. John says it. Jews don't do it, and but closer translation, all use dishes with them. So that's how they looked at them. We wouldn't even share a dish. We wouldn't even share from the same cup. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water if you only knew. Who it is that's standing before you? If you're here this morning, if you only knew who Jesus is. If you only knew who it is that comes to you and asks for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, so, the woman said, "You've got nothing to draw from, and this this well here that Jacob left for us is deep." What are you drawing from? Are you greater than our father Jacob? She says, where can I get this living water from? Are you greater than our father Jacob who drank from it? Are you greater? Yeah. Yeah, much greater. Much greater. Jesus answered her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again but whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What a claim. Is that someone that is irrelevant, that claims to take away the thirst? Not physically. The water I give will become a spring welling up to eternal life life to take away and prevent thirst and give eternal life that's what Jesus is claiming he can offer that's what he's offering us this morning he offered it to this lady some thousand years ago and he's still offering the same thing today the water that I give will well up in you to eternal life wherever you're drinking from you will continue to thirst Whatever it is. But what Jesus offers is something that will take away your thirst and it will well up in you to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. Give me this water so that I won't be thirsty, so that I don't find myself back at this place again. Give me this water. What we see next is a a shift. It's a turning point. And I think Jesus does this to grab her attention because you know at the end of this segment I read to you where she says, the Messiah, the one, the Christ is coming, when he comes, he'll explain it all. Jesus says, the one that's before you is is he. I think this will be a bit of evidence to prove that to her. He changes course. This is incredible. He tells her, after saying, I can give you eternal life, this water, he then says, go, go. Go and get your husband and come back. I don't I don't have a husband. Jesus says, Oh no. You're right. You've had five. You've had five husbands, and the the guy that you're now with, he's not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you're a prophet. What an amazing understatement. What an amazing understatement. I've heard of words of knowledge, but this is an understatement. Jesus speaks directly into her life, doesn't know her from out well, he knows her, she doesn't know him, and says, go get your husband. And she nonchalantly goes, oh, I haven't got one. No, no, you've had five. You've had five husbands, and the man you're now with, he's not even your husband. It's quite true, Lady. I can say you're a prophet. <laughs> what he said was intended to grab her attention. What does prophecy do? I'm not going to harbour on this or labour on this, but what does prophecy do? I feel reminded of it. In 1 Corinthians 14, it says that if someone were to come in and we're prophesying or we're speaking things that only God would know, they would the secrets of their hearts would be revealed thus falling to their face, saying, surely God's here. Prophecy is meant to reveal the heart of God. Prophecy is from God. Only God could know that. Who's had words like that, where people have come to you and said, I feel the Lord would say this, and you're like, oh, my goodness. My heart's been left bare. I've, I've had it, and I've thought, have you been following me in some way? When Julian Adams was here, remember? He picked out many of us. And you just think, this is bonkers. How does he know? He knows me. This was meant to grab her attention. He knows me. He knows me. Let's look at what's going on. She's through her fifth marriage and now living with another man. I'm from a broken marriage. Not myself. I haven't been married twice. But my parents have. Several times. And I'm from that background. And let me tell you, it's painful painful, many of you have been painful, the baggage it leaves behind the anger, the hurt she was an outcast, certainly to the Jews certainly to the Jews, but possibly even her own people despised, rejected, unclean she most probably had um, identity issues, crisis, whatever we want to call them Insecurity issues, acceptance issues, self-worth due to the many relationships. I've been in a few relationships and I remember before coming to Christ, I was looking all over the place, just like me. Self-worth issues. She came to the well at the sixth hour. This means that the hottest part of the day. No one would have been there. No one should have been there. It was the hottest part of the day. People scuttle indoors. Yet she's thinking, I'm going to go then. And she comes, bingo, encounters Jesus. Why was she there at that time? Probably because of the shame of it. I don't want people to see me. I suggest to you that this woman is completely broken inside, like many. She's thirsty, not of a physical thirst, she's empty within. But Jesus does what Jesus does best. He engages people in earthly conversations that simple... We make it difficult. The parables are meant to stop us in our tracks, but he says simple stories that are profound. They're a bit weird at times. But here Jesus is using language that she'd be familiar with. She's at the well and he's saying, "Oh, firstly, this is how I'm going to engage with her. Give us a drink. And then he's talking about water, and then he talks, he's speaking into a thirst that she has within. It's not a physical thirst. It's very important that we quench our physical thirst, or else we'll die. But we'll spiritually die if we do not quench our physical, our spiritual thirst. Jesus is speaking into her life. He knows exactly where she's at, He knows her inside out. What she needs more than anything. Is Him, is Jesus. Verse 10 says, If only you knew the gift of God and who it is that stands before you. I'm adding that bit. If only you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for this drink, you would have asked me and I would have given you living water. If only you knew. If only you knew. What was offered to you? I knew you'd be here at the sixth hour. Jesus would say that to you. I knew you'd be here today. <laughs> I know your thirsts within, I know your lacks, I know your hurts, your pains. If only you knew what I can give you. You'd ask me, and I'll give you something that's alive. Something that's living, something that's bubbling over that will lead you into eternal life. If only you knew. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. You imagine her trying to get some water and he's just like, you can keep drinking but you're going to thirst again. It's not going to fill that void that those men have tried to fill. It's not going to fill that hurt, that pain. It's not going to fill that shame. It's not going to st- stop you from what the Jews talk about talk about the Samaritans, all all this confusion and hurt, you're going to keep thirsting, woman. Everyone who drinks, whatever you're drinking from, alcohol to fill a gap, sex to fill a gap, drugs, pornography, whatever it might be, if you're drinking from something to satisfy your soul, you will continue to thirst. And you will go on thirsting. And if anything, you will get thirstier and thirstier. But whoever drinks what I give, whoever drinks what I give you, you'll never thirst. You're never going to thirst. You know that feeling some of you have got right now. But if you drink what I give you, you're never going to thirst. The water that I give will become in you a spring welling up to eternal life. Jesus is the one that will satisfy the thirst within you. I'm not talking about a sense of giving you some sort of super-duper Evian water. It's quite expensive now. Some form of miracle spring water. It made me want to push my TV off the stand when I watched something on the God channel a few years ago, be careful what you watch. This guy saying, if you phone in, you can receive miracle spring water. Jesus isn't offering some form of miracle spring water. Well, I guess he is in some way, but it's not physical matter, you know? I give you living waters, pure, perfect, life giving water. And the reason why we know it's pure and perfect and life-giving and sustaining is because Jesus is offering himself. That's what it is. That's what the living waters are. Okay? So when I'm speaking about living waters, apologies, it's taken me a while to get there. Some of you are thinking, what are you talking about, living waters? What are these living waters? Jesus. Jesus. The life of Jesus. Living, pure, pure, Waters. That's what the living waters are the life of God, His life, His presence, His power that will reside in you, that will flow from within you, and that will sustain you and will satisfy you. His life. A continual supply, a continual river, if you like. I love the word living because it talks about running, a continual running water going, source after source, a continual river flowing. Jesus says, I'll never leave you, nor will I forsake you. So once he's inside you, once you have been brought into new life, once he comes and dwells in you, he'll never leave you. These waters you can draw on as a continual source for your fulfilment and satisfaction. Not just for the now. We need it for the now, but it's it's a forever satisfaction. And I know what it's like, Christian, We get dry, we get wounded, we get barren. That's because we wander away from the waters. I do it. We all do it. Jesus says, come back to the waters. Come back to the waters, because you'll find refreshment for your soul. It's because it's God within a person, because it's Jesus' life within. That's why we get satisfaction for our longings and cravings, the spiritual hunger that this lady would be uh, experiencing, this thirst within. Jesus is saying, ask me and you'll receive. The thirst for meaning and purpose, identity, security, acceptance, fulfilment, satisfaction, peace, joy, love. We all need that. Yet we look all over the place for it. And Jesus says... I will give it to you. I will fulfil your needs. Jesus satisfies the thirst within. I just want to share a very quick story and then we'll come in to worship. There's not many, there are not many nicer feelings than the quenching of thirst. I see Anne, you're drinking water there. I hope it's water. Uh, it's up to you. no, No nicer feeling than the quenching of thirst. I hope you agree, it's sweet relief, right? That quenching of thirst. Woo! Do you know? That's the same when our spiritual thirst is quenched as well. Ten years ago, my spiritual hunger and thirst was quenched. The void, the emptiness within me has been filled. I used to get drunk a lot, drunk as a skunk. And I remember going to bed, many times, absolutely blottoed, waking up in the night thinking, something has died in my mouth. I've got to have a drink. I've got to have a drink, and and what I need is water. What I need is pure, cold, running water. Because that's what will satisfy my soul. Sometimes I'd reach for the cold Coke that was next to my bed and I'd take a big swig, hoping there still wouldn't be cigarette butts in it. Yeah, pretty gross. And it would be awful, this warm Coke, when all I needed was ice-cold sweet relief from just pure water. That's what my body needed, that's what my system needed. I was also like this lady a- apart from being a lady, I was much like this lady. <laughs> the obvious ones are the hardest ones to skip over. Apart from being a lady, I was I was like her in many ways. I'd bounced from relationship to relationship. Before I met Jesus, I I was looking for acceptance. Like I've said, I just wanted someone to love me. I just wanted someone to say I was all right. I just wanted people to like me, because that's what we all do. I was thirsty within, I was hungry, whether it was relationships, alcohol, drugs, nothing satisfied me, nothing. I thought they did, but they just run dry again, until Jesus found me. Many of you know my story, but I felt just to share it very briefly. Like I said, in the, in the Gospel, Jesus says, for the reason the Son of Man came was to seek and save those that were lost. What was lost? That's Jesus' mission. He comes to seek and save those that are lost. I was horribly lost. I didn't know it at the time. But I was searching and I was walking into dead ends and walking into uh, cul-de-sacs and and getting involved with this and getting in trouble with that and owing this person money and and hurting this person and, and cheating on this person. I didn't know what I was doing but I was thirsty within until Jesus found me. He was waiting at the well of my life. Excuse the pun. He was waiting there for me. And the night that I was on Alpha, I thought that I'd made my way in. I thought I'd explore Christianity. Jesus was waiting there the whole time. He was waiting there for me. And just like the woman at the well, Jesus spoke directly into my life. I can remember it as if it was yesterday. I remember him saying, I know you. Those words. I know you. I love you. And the next words blew me away. I'll take those bags. I knew exactly what he was referring to, the cocaine that I was so addicted to. He said to me, I'll take those bags. And I remember thinking, this is bonkers. I gave my life to Jesus. I I remember thinking everyone had come, feeling like everyone had come and hugged me in the room, thinking this is weird, but I like it. (laughs) Opened my eyes and there was no one near me. And it was then that I just felt peace flood into my heart. This void, this gap, this hunger and thirst was filled. I remember leaving that house just in a flood of tears. Broken. Knewing that my heart was changed. You know, we talked about new life last week. I knew I left there, my heart completely changed. Completely changed. And that night an Alpha was the call. Come to me. I turned to Jesus I turned away from all my stuff I thought this isn't satisfying me and I turned to him and do you know what the miracle was what was probably going to end my life Jesus took in a moment I couldn't kick the drug habit it ended me up in hospital it lost dignity I lost friendships I was lying to people I was hurting my family Jesus took it in a moment He says, give me those bags. (laughs) Hallelujah, indeed. I turned to him and I remember feeling my heart just be washed new. Completely washed new. This man, Anthony, has walked alongside me for many years now and it's been a struggle. What about this? What about this? What about this? But the thing was, Jesus was just saying, if only you knew what was before you. Come to me and drink. Can the band come up? I just want to say a few more things and we're going to sing to close. I'd received something on that night that was completely amazing. Although I said I'm much like the Samaritan woman, I'm I'm equally nothing like her, as many of us aren't. But we share something very similar. We're human beings and we're broken and we're damaged and we're wounded and we're thirsty and we're hungry and we're looking for all sorts of meaning and purpose. So, the call for Jesus is for us all. What was offered to the lady is offered to us. And I remember on that night, I received it. And I was made new. I received this living water that came to reside and live within me. It says this in Galatians I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But who? But Christ lives in me. Listen to that again. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come. What is the new? It's God in you. It's God in you. So you see, it's not a drink that's on offer here this morning. It's God that's on offer to you. It's God himself that is on offer to you. And As Jesus, is living waters, you can receive him into your lives. So I want to ask you a question. We're going to worship in a moment. But I just want to ask you this question. Are you thirsty? I don't care whether you're a Christian or whether you don't know him. Whether you know him or whether you don't know him. Are you thirsty? Because if you're thirsty here this morning, Jesus says, come to me and drink. It says in John's Gospel... Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, streams of living water will flow from within him. But he says, come to me and drink. If anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. So whoever you are, whatever you've done, wherever you find yourselves, I want to encourage you, come to Jesus this morning. We're going to worship, we're going to sing to the Lord and Saviour, And I want to ask you, as you're worshipping today, ask yourself that question. Is Jesus, then, incomparable? What you've heard today, maybe what you've heard last week as well, we're going through a series, so it's about you adding it up, it's about you weighing it all up. Is he the unique son of God, the saviour of the universe, or is he just a man? I want you to come to your own decision. He alone will satisfy the thirst within. And he alone gives eternal life. Lord Jesus, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that ten years ago you broke in on my life. You saved me. You've set me free. You've given me eternal life. You've washed me clean. You've, you've brought me new life. You've, you've given me a new heart with new desires and, and new uh, uh, purposes and plans and new passions. Lord, we know we can't do it on our own steam. We need you the living waters, to come and flow within us. So I pray as we sing to you, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you minister to many here this morning? And I ask that for Jesus' good name. Amen. Amen. Can I encourage you to stand? We're going to sing, and then I'll come up and close the meeting.